this this ethical dimension is why I think that there is no simple answer to the question of whether this was a good decision or not by Biden. Welcome to another episode of America Explained, the podcast that brings the important voices and perspectives shaping American politics, foreign policy and culture to an international audience. Welcome. I'm your host, Andy Gawthorpe, bringing you this bonus episode of America Explained from The Hague. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking about the withdrawal from Afghanistan, which was just announced by Joe Biden. If you like the way that America Explained brings you in-depth coverage of events that have just happened in the news, then please, please, please tell a friend or leave us a review on iTunes. Just a few days ago, Joe Biden announced that he was going to withdraw all American troops from Afghanistan by 9-11, September 11th this year, the anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. This is the first really big foreign policy decision of the Biden administration. It's one that wasn't unexpected at all. And the reason for that actually points towards a really important point about this, which is this is a decision that Joe Biden really personally is going to own, whatever its consequences may be. He's been personally associated for more than a decade with the idea that the US should withdraw from Afghanistan. And in enacting this decision now, it's widely known that he's argued down others in the administration, particularly in the military and the Pentagon and the intelligence community, who did not want this to happen. So this is going to be a really defining piece of Joe Biden's legacy, something we're going to be talking about a lot over the next four years, because there's, there's many opportunities, many ways for this decision to impact American foreign policy and impact the future of Afghanistan between now and the next presidential election. This is a tremendously complicated and also an emotional issue for Americans, for Europeans, and for Afghans. Hundreds of thousands of American and European soldiers and aid workers and diplomats have deployed to Afghanistan over the last 20 years, and many have given their lives, including from European countries as as well as American countries. This is an issue that I've experienced firsthand. One of my previous jobs was as an instructor, a teacher at a military staff college in the UK. So I would teach history and international relations to British army officers, majors and colonels, many of whom had recently returned from tours to Afghanistan. And I spent a lot of time discussing with them their experiences, their fears for the future of the country, and their colleagues who tragically lost their lives in the conflict. And, you know, so often they would hope that the conflict was going to have a positive outcome for the future of Afghanistan and the people of Afghanistan. So that would in some way give meaning to the lives that had been lost in this conflict. And of course, for Afghans, the issue is is intensely more immediate. The takeover by the, of the country by the Taliban again raises the specter of a massive regression in civil rights, political rights, and particularly women's rights, and a return to the sort of horrific scenes that we saw in Afghanistan in the 90s and the early 2000s. All of the emotions that are caught up in how we view this conflict and and what's going to happen next, and particularly whether the perception comes to be dominant that in some way America betrayed the Afghans whose trust it's relied on for the last few decades, well all of this also means potentially huge political costs for the Biden administration. So 
why is the administration deciding to withdraw now, you know, knowing it's going to involve all of these costs and raising this specter of betrayal? Well, there are two broad schools of thought that argue for withdrawal from Afghanistan. One of them is progressive and one of them is grounded more in realpolitik. The progressive argument for withdrawing from Afghanistan is basically based on a desire to reduce the role that the military plays in American foreign policy and to reduce America's proclivity for military interventions around the world. So progressive critics of the war in Afghanistan often decry it as one of what they call the endless wars that the US has become involved in as part of the war on terror. Basically, they say that by declaring war on a concept that concept's been terrorism the u.s has committed itself to a series of wars that can never be won because there can never be a world free of terrorism so they argue that a fundamental rethinking of american security priorities is necessary and particularly a narrowing of the scope of action that the u.s is involved in throughout the world rather than trying to occupy countries and, and transform them in a way that will reduce the risk of terrorism in the future the u.s would be better served by reducing its overall military footprint, focusing more on problems that exist at home. The realpolitik argument for withdrawal is rather different. This argument basically says that America does have very expansive and necessary security commitments around the world, but the most important of those commitments are actually to defend against Russia and China. Now, of course, neither Russia or China is likely to have its tanks rolling down the streets of Washington, D.C. anytime soon. So what this basically boils down to is protecting American allies who are near Russia and China from those countries' expansionism. So the realpolitik approach says basically that America has massively overinvested its military in the Middle East. It's massively overinvested just its, its basic national attention, which is always limited, the energy it has to deal with foreign policy problems in the Middle East, and that this would be much, much better served by being drawn down from the Middle East and then shifted to Europe and East Asia, where the true threats to American security, particularly American allies and, and what we call the liberal international order, this system of rules and institutions that, that govern global politics, this is where America's attention should be. This is the logic that governed the Obama administration's so-called pivot to Asia. So Obama came into office with this very similar realpolitik approach to the issue. He wanted to draw down the conflict in Iraq, draw down the conflict in Afghanistan, and then shift American attention to the Far East and towards containing China. Now, what actually happened under the Obama administration was that Obama did withdraw US forces from Iraq, but he kept them in Afghanistan for a number of reasons. And, and some of those were to do with the way that the military and the intelligence community really boxed him in. They made it known that they believed that a withdrawal from Afghanistan could potentially really harm American security interests, it could raise the specter of terrorism in the future, and this, by making these views publicly known, they made it very difficult for Obama to follow his instincts on this issue, which was very, very disappointing to progressives. And at that time, actually, when these debates were happening in the Obama administration, Biden was in favor of a withdrawal from Afghanistan, very famously. And he made this, this same argument that American attention should not be focused on the Middle East, should be focused elsewhere. 
and that the problems that would continue to exist for American security in Afghanistan, particularly the threat of terrorism, could be dealt with through different means. It didn't require a military occupation. And unsurprisingly, this is the logic that we're seeing the Biden administration deploy in its withdrawal from Afghanistan today. Now Biden is finally the one calling the shots. So Biden has made it known that the reason he believes this withdrawal is so important is so America can indeed focus on these foreign policy challenges elsewhere, these security challenges that are seen to emanate from Russia and China. So while it might be tempting to interpret the withdrawal from Afghanistan as a really big progressive win, and I think it is a partial progressive win at least, but the logic by which it's been undertaken and the policy that Biden's following it up with, which is actually increasing America's focus and, and military commitment elsewhere in the world. So actually just um, this week, he announced that he's sending more troops to Europe, for instance. This means that this decision really stems much more from the realpolitik school of thought than it does from this progressive critique of, of US foreign policy, even though I think it will be welcomed in progressive circles. <laughs> listening to America Explained, a podcast about the United States for an international audience. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, tell a friend, and leave a positive review on your podcast platform. Now, the arguments against this decision are varied and many. I think there's at least four that we can talk about most usefully. So the first can be summed up by just saying that it's about sunk costs and the need to stay until the job is done. So the US has invested, you know, two decades, trillions of dollars and thousands of lives into Afghanistan. It's basically that, you know, US strategy in this conflict has been based on, yes, fighting the Taliban and fighting Al-Qaeda, but also, and, and arguably more importantly, on attempting to foster a more democratic and effective Afghan state that will be able to hold the Taliban and hold Al-Qaeda at bay once American forces inevitably withdraw. So this is what's usually called nation building, and it's actually been the focus of the American commitment in Afghanistan for a number of years now. It's been some years since American forces were themselves directly engaged in combat in Afghanistan. They've been more training Afghan soldiers. At the same time, American aid workers and diplomats have been trying to build up Afghan state institutions, make them more effective, make them more legitimate. And the hope is that this means that the Afghan state will, will, would be able to govern all of Afghanistan and keep the Taliban out of power. And the commitment of American forces to Afghanistan at the moment is not actually that large. It's about 3,500. About a thousand of those are special forces and soldiers who are supporting the special forces who are involved in raids on the Taliban and, and direct action. But the other two and a half thousand are trainers. And it, as I say, it's been some time since American forces were going out and fighting pitched battles. Now, this argument from the perspective of sunk costs basically says that, well, the US has put so much energy and so much effort into Afghanistan, the current commitment is not that large, so really it should just stay until the job is done. And it further argues that if America doesn't do this, then it runs the repeat of a situation like what happened at the end of the Vietnam War when the American-backed regime in South Vietnam collapsed, and this was viewed as a really huge blow to American credibility and, and American security. 
The counter arguments to this are that after 20 years and trillions of dollars and thousands of lives, there does reach a point where you have to draw a line under any endeavor. Nation building is really, really difficult. We actually don't have many examples of this working at all. There's been a great deal of documentation of how ineffective and wasteful American nation building efforts in Afghanistan have actually been. And, you know, when you combine this with a regime that doesn't necessarily want to reform or is capable of making the sort of reforms that might be necessary to stay in power in the long term, you have a country that, you know, could need an American power source to keep itself humming along, potentially indefinitely. So when you take into account the, the real difficulties with nation building as a strategy, plus the fact that it's already been attempted for so long, there does reach a point where you have to draw a line under the endeavor and say if the Afghan state can't defend itself now, then it's possible that that moment will never be reached. So unless Afghanistan is going to become a permanent American protectorate, this withdrawal is necessary. The second argument against withdrawal warns that Afghanistan could become a terrorist haven. Now, of course, the whole reason why American troops are in Afghanistan in the first place is because of 9-11, because the um, Al-Qaeda, which was at the time based in the country, directed these terrorist attacks against the United States. And the fear is that this could happen again. There's some merit to this argument. In fact, there is definitely merit to this argument that could happen. But the counter argument to this is to say, well, that's actually true of a great many places around the world, places like Yemen and Somalia that have bases in which international terrorist groups can operate. And the US doesn't feel the need to occupy all of those places and engage in nation building in order to ensure its own security. It has other ways of dealing with this problem means that come in for a great deal of criticism themselves rightly things like drone strikes things like special forces raids which involve all sorts of difficult questions and, and moral trade-offs but which the us does mostly feel is adequate to protect its security in these regions there seems to be no real reason why afghanistan couldn't be treated the same way and we also have to consider that although at the moment the narrative is kind of one of American retreat, the past 20 years have not been good for the Taliban. They lost control of Afghanistan. They've lost tens of thousands of their fighters. And it's actually highly questionable whether they're going to risk this happening again by repeating the activity which saw them driven from power in the first place. So, these arguments about Afghanistan becoming, you know, a, a place where international terrorism could have its origins in the future, they have a merit to them, but they have to be balanced against other security interests like China, like Russia, which America now feels that it needs to focus on. A third argument is to do with credibility. So it's sometimes argued that if America leaves Afghanistan, it will be viewed as generally less credible in international affairs. You know, so maybe then Russia might see that America's a paper tiger and might uh, do something similar to what it's doing at the moment and, and threaten a, a large new military incursion into Ukraine. Or maybe China will think that it can get away with attacking Taiwan because America has shown that it doesn't have the staying power to defend its allies. This argument seems pretty dodgy to me. I think that America has actually demonstrated tremendous resolve by staying this long in Afghanistan. 
And it's simply not the case that credibility requires a country to continue to pursue a strategy that isn't working in order just to show that it, it, it's, it's capable of sticking to what it, doing what it started. That's not actually how we think about credibility in international relations at all. And everything we hear about, for instance, how the Chinese policymaking elite views the war in Afghanistan is that they see it as a tremendous folly, a tremendous waste of America power and energy. So I'm not really sure that this argument about credibility holds much water. And you can actually argue that the US will gain credibility by liquidating this, this commitment that, that is, is, has become so difficult and is not any longer really yielding utility for American security. The fourth argument against withdrawal, which I, I left until the last because I think it's the most convincing, is to say that if the Taliban again takes over Afghanistan, there's a risk of tremendous regression in human and women's rights in the country. This, I think, is undoubtedly true. And it's also undoubtedly true that you can argue that America has a special commitment to Afghanistan and the people of Afghanistan having supported this, this regime and having enabled these changes to take place over the last few decades. And it's particularly important because one of the chief justifications for the conflict has come to be framed in terms of the way that it protects women's rights and human rights in Afghanistan. On the other hand, the same arguments apply in many places which the US hasn't invaded and doesn't invade. You know, so women's rights and human rights are endangered and abused all over the world. And we all accept, and, and, and I don't think any of us would think that it would be a good thing if America were to announce that it was going to invade everywhere in the world that didn't have, doesn't have a perfect human rights record. But I do think it's true that America has a special responsibility in Afghanistan because of its recent history in the country. There are literally tens or hundreds of thousands of people who threw in their lot, threw in their fortunes with the Afghan regime and made themselves potential targets of, of Taliban oppression and retaliation in the future because they believed in American promises to protect that regime and protect the future of the country and keep the Taliban out of power. So even after America withdraws its forces from Afghanistan, it does, I think, need both for political reasons and also, more importantly, for these ethical reasons to do what it can to prevent the collapse of the Afghan regime and prevent the return to power of the Taliban in the future. And this, this ethical dimension is why I think that there is no simple answer to the question of whether this was a good decision or not by Biden. It can be legitimately viewed many different ways, and ultimately only history is going to tell us what the consequences were, and if we think the benefits ultimately outweighed the costs. So that's it for this bonus episode. It um, turned out to be a little bit longer than I expected, but I hope you found it interesting. And please join us next Wednesday where I'm going to return to interviews. So uh, I've done three monologues in a row now and I, I bet you want to hear someone else's voice. Have a great interview uh, coming up on Wednesday. Going to be discussing voting rights and voting suppression in America today. So please join me then. That's all we have time for this episode. Thanks for listening to America Explained. You can contact us on producer at america-explained.com or through the America Explained Facebook page. I'm your host, Andy Gawthorpe. Designer and advisor is Janice Killian. Music by Soundwave. America Explained is an APD media production. 
See you next time.